Are science and faith compatible? Many strident opinions have been voiced over recent years. Many, many, most of you will know the best-selling author Richard Dawkins, hugely influential biologist at the heart of the New Atheist movement. And he holds something called the conflict thesis. That, uh, it goes something like this. Faith and religion are at war. Science is the enemy of faith. Faith is the enemy of science. And science is winning the war. As a result, many Christians are somewhat wary of scientists and afraid that science might increasingly undermine their faith. However, public opinion has shifted a bit over recent years, perhaps influenced by the global COVID pandemic, with a UK poll conducted in 2021 showed that 64% of people agree that there are some things that science will never be able to explain. So what are we to think? It's a huge and complex topic, and I can only scratch the surface of that this morning. But I want to start by throwing the question over to you. Do you think that science and faith are compatible? And I'm going to give you a choice of three possible answers. A yes, a no, or an unsure? What's your gut response? Those of you who know my background will probably guess that I think that science and faith are compatible. I've spent most of my working life in biomedical research in the NHS and at Surrey University where I'm an emeritus professor of endocrinology. However, Somewhat to my surprise, I felt God calling me to ordain ministry in the 1990s as a non-stipendiary minister, a calling to be on the boundary between parish and science workplace. So today I'd like to argue that science and faith don't have to be in opposition to one another. Indeed, I want to go further and say that science and faith actually need one another. So if you're unsure about it, then I hope this morning will give you some background to help you decide. And if you think that science and faith are in conflict, then I hope that you will be open-minded and prepared to change your mind. I'd like to do three things this morning. Firstly, I'm going to run through some arguments supporting why I believe that science and faith are compatible. I'm then going to take a couple of topics, evolution and miracles, topics where scientists and Christians have often clashed. And finally, talk about why I think science and faith actually need each other. Historically, conflict between science and Christian faith is a relatively new thing. The motto of Oxford University from the 1100s is Dominus Illuminatio Mea, from Psalm 27, the Lord is my light. The 15th century astronomer Galileo, who upset traditional ideas by postulating that the Earth wasn't at the centre of the cosmos, was a firm believer in God and the Bible, as was Isaac Newton, the discoverer of gravity and the laws of motion. These grandfathers of modern science saw no conflict between science and faith. Indeed, Galileo said, the laws of nature are written by the hand of God in the language of mathematics, and that the human mind is a work of God and one of the most excellent. And it wasn't until the 18th and 19th centuries 
until what became known as the age of reason that science and religion clashed. The most famous example of which was Darwin's theory of evolution, of which I'll say a little bit more later. One argument for the compatibility of science and faith is that they address different aspects of human life. Science is mainly concerned with the empirical investigation of our world. It uses observation, experimentation, it uses measurement and logic to discover and explain the world around us. Faith is mainly concerned with relationships, relationships with God and with each other. And faith uses revelation, tradition, reason and experience to find meaning and morality and purpose. Science and faith can therefore coexist and complement each other as long as they respect each other's domains and methods. Put very simply, science concentrates on the how of things and faith concentrates on the why a process that includes revelation. Supposing your friend Jane made a beautiful cake. Now you could take it to a group of scientists, they could analyse it, they could tell you how it had been made, its calorie and fat and carbohydrate content, etc. But science couldn't tell you why the cake had been made. Only Jane could reveal that to you, that she made it for her daughter's birthday. Science therefore has its limits. For example, the teaching of morality lies out, um, out, outside science. Science can tell you that if you add strychnine to someone's drink, it will kill them. But science can't tell you whether it's morally right or wrong to put strychnine into, into your granny's tea so that you can get your hands on her property. And in contrast, the Bible talks a great deal about moral laws. And in this situation, two of the Ten Commandments come to mind. Thou shalt not kill, and thou shalt not covet your neighbours or your granny's house, etc. Psalm 19, that we've read today, says a great deal in praise of God's moral laws and the need to keep them. Nevertheless, in some of the overlaps between science and faith, there's been noisy and sometimes bad-tempered debate in recent years. And... I think certain biologists and Christians on the topic of evolution, that debate has been particularly bad, the how of evolution and how it might have happened. And I think this is one area where Christians often lack confidence in their beliefs, as some scientists have rather rubbished Christian beliefs. So at one extreme, there are Christians who believe that God created life, the universe and everything in the last 10,000 years. And at the other extreme, there are scientists who believe that humans evolved by a process of random natural selection without the need to postulate the existence of a creator God at all, and that the universe began billions and billions of years ago. Now notice that I said the word believe for both explanations, because on the one hand, the Christians who hold the young earth view believe in a very literal interpretation of the first chapters of Genesis, seeing them as a factual scientific account. And on the other, the scientists who believe in random natural selection 
are accepting a hypothesis that they believe covers more of the facts than any other hypothesis. Neither can prove their views. And in between these extreme views, there are people who are both scientists and people of faith, and this includes myself, who accept the process of evolution as being the one that currently fits the evidence best, and the vast majority of scientists accept that. But I would also say that this doesn't need to be in conflict with the belief in a God who created and sustains the universe. The Genesis account of creation is broadly in line with the currently scientifically accepted sequence of events in the evolution of life on Earth. But I read the Genesis account as literature that holds a deeper truth, a truth about a creator God, rather than a modern scientific account of how the world began. I would argue that there's reasonable evidence for a creator God. Indeed, there are a number of mathematical arguments that I won't go into here that point to the sheer improbability of life and humankind evolving as a merely random process over the timescale of our known universe. And if you ask me afterwards, I can recommend some further reading. Psalm 19 opens with the words, the heavens declare the glory of God. The Christian astrophysicist David Wilkinson talks about his awe and wonder at the complexity and beauty of the universe, which to him points to God. The natural world and the scientific exploration of nature can elicit a similar awe. Atheist Richard Dawkins describes being awed by science. He wrote, the feeling of awed wonder that science can give us is one of the highest experiences of which the human psyche is capable. A national treasure, David Attenborough himself, an agnostic, said, there isn't a child that doesn't get filled with wonder by nature, even from an early age. And I can vouch for that with my own children and grandchildren. Maybe scientific awe and religious awe are one of the same, although I suspect Richard Dawkins will be extremely annoyed if you heard me say that. Up to now, I've been talking around science and faith, not specifically Christian faith. I'd like to home in now on a second area of debate between science and faith that particularly concerns us as Christians, and that is the debate around miracles, specifically the resurrection of Jesus. Darwin wrote, the more we know of the fixed laws of nature, the more incredible the miracles become. Does science rule out miracles? There are many miraculous events recorded in the Bible, and many of them seem to go against our current scientific understanding of the laws of nature. The biblical writers record these stories in a natural and at times almost matter-of-fact way. I don't think it's enough to dismiss this on the grounds that they don't know scientific laws and therefore saw no problem. For example, Peter had no understanding of Newton's law of gravitation, but as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, he knew that it was unusual for people to walk on water. Interestingly, the biblical writers showed little interest in how these miracles happen. 
They were much more concerned with why. Throughout the Bible, miracles are pointers towards God, special signs that is present in the world and is in control of it. And in the New Testament particularly, they're first and foremost signs that the kingdom of God has arrived on earth through Jesus. But can God work miracles in a fixed Newtonian mechanistic universe? Again, I'm not going to blind you with scientific theory at this point, but suffice it to say that the majority of physicists maintain that Newtonian mechanics is largely out of date, that quantum and chaos theories write uncertainty into the fundamental nature of our world. And these theories are consistent with the occurrence of highly unlikely events or miracles. But I think a better scientific approach to miracles, which doesn't require you to be a particle physicist, is to weigh seriously the evidence for and against a particular miracle. And this involves looking at different explanations of the same event and seeing which one is the more likely. So taking the resurrection of Jesus, we agree that our normal experience is that dead people stay dead. So do we dismiss Jesus's resurrection on this basis? Or are we willing to change our view on the basis of the evidence? So we need to ask these sorts of questions. What's the historical basis and reliability of the New Testament records? What's the best explanation of the empty tomb? What's the best explanation for the claimed appearances of the risen Jesus? What's the best explanation for the growth of the church? And so on. Now, I believe that the evidence is very strong for the Christian claim that Jesus was raised on the third day. It doesn't prove the resurrection. The evidence can't be forced, but it's a reasonable conclusion. I chose the resurrection as an example because it fundamentally overturns our view of the world. The current secular Western view is that death is the end. But Jesus' resurrection points to a deeper reality, becomes the model, the first fruits of our own resurrection. And there's a sense in the New Testament that the resurrection is the outcome of a different law, a spiritual law. If we're convinced by the evidence, then we have to accept that God can, on occasions, work in and through and beyond physical laws to do unusual things for specific purposes. We've looked at a couple of examples where scientists and Christians have clashed, but actually scientists and people of faith have a number of values in common, places where they can learn from one another. I've already talked about the sense of awe, both feel in observing the world around them. I'd like now to talk about the values of curiosity and humility. Scientists value curiosity very highly. They ask lots of questions and are generally prepared to go where the evidence leads them. This curiosity leads to new discoveries. Now, I believe that curiosity is a God-given attribute, but I think that sometimes Christians can get a bit lazy in their faith 
accepting what they're told by authority figures in the church without working it through for themselves. So don't be afraid to be curious. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. God honours that curiosity. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We grow in our faith by grappling with hard issues. And that's why I'm so glad that we're doing this sermon series, which does just that. But perhaps most importantly, of most important value, which both scientists and people of faith hold in common, is that of humility. Humility is recognising the limitations of our own understanding, our own perspectives and abilities. As Christians, we're aware of the theological side of humility, of our sin and falling short of the standards that God has laid down for us. In our reading today, the psalmist asks God to forgive my hidden faults. And the great theologian St Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 admits that now we know only in part. We see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. And mirrors in St Paul's day were not very good. Sadly, whilst both communities value humility, they can both fail to practice it. Some Christians need to be prepared to reconsider their views, to avoid defensiveness when challenged and to moderate their own need to be right. Some scientists need to remember that there are other ways of knowing things in the world, ways other than just the scientific framework. Now, I'd like you to imagine a big pile of stones um, say in, 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 in the desert. Now, if you imagine those, that big pile of stones, what do they mean? And what truth do they tell? Now, geologists could examine the stones themselves. They could estimate how old they were. They could tell their origins, whether they were spewed out by a volcano or whether they originated as sediment at the bottom of some ancient sea. To a traveller, they could be a waymark, a cairn or a signpost to mark a safe route. So those stones had a practical function beyond the stones themselves. To a Christian, those stones might remind them of a passage from 1 Peter about the church. You, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. So the stones might have a symbolic or spiritual meaning. We have many kinds of meaning. Science is only one part. It's a part that served us really well. Our whole way of life is dependent on its knowledge, particularly in the West. Without science, we wouldn't have the COVID vaccine. Science has served us very well, but it doesn't have all the answers. In the early 20th century, people thought that the human race would approximate to an ideal society through advances in science and education. 
but major world wars and the atrocities associated with them, escalating environmental damage, etc., etc., have shown this to be wrong. Now we've only got to look around us today at our broken planet and observe the evidence. As Christians, we believe that God intervened in our world, in time and in history, to offer humankind new life in Christ. We've got something fundamental to offer. The restoration of our relationship with God enables us to work at repairing other relationships that are damaged in the world, including social relationships and our relationships with nature. So don't be afraid to be curious, but be humble and open-minded, confident, but not confrontational. Look around you and recognise God's activity in our world with awe and wonder, and work with him to bring in his kingdom on earth. The knowledge and power that science gives us can aid us in this task. And so I will contend that far from being opposed to one another, science and faith need one another. Psalm 19 ends with the words, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So let's trust in God, our creator, our redeemer, and our Lord to guide us through the complexities of these issues and to know him as our rock, the one that gives us a firm place upon which to stand.